I know you guys are all looking at the clock. I usually end about 11.10. So you're wondering, how is this guy going to get through this passage in 15 minutes? I'm not. I'm just going to go. And I'm kidding. Oh, Miss Nagy said just preach it. Just preach it. <laughs> here we go. So here we go. Shepherd the flock. We are coming to the end of First Peter. Uh, it has been a great semester in First Peter. And we have heard from Peter over and over and over that there is going to be struggles and there's going to be trials and there's going to be a thing called suffering throughout the church of God. For those people who follow Jesus, who want to follow after Jesus and his examples, there's going to be suffering and there's going to be pain. Now, Peter is speaking to the churches in modern day Turkey and he's saying, I just need you to be aware that this is what is going to happen. And he ends the, the book, all right? So he's coming to the end of the book and he just wants to make a, a quick note about those people who are in, in charge. The people that have given this amazing opportunity to shepherd the flock to be able to, to look at them in a, in a real way. So all throughout time, especially modern day time, people struggle to have a positive view of leadership, right? So when you think of leadership, oftentimes you think of the, the, the misuse um, or the, just the, the, the push from leaders all around us. And so this negative leadership tends to win the day because you've got skepticism on one side or maybe even criticism on the other. Either way, you look to leadership and you go, eh, I would have done it a little better, right? And so that's why every Sunday morning after your team has lost on Saturday night, you're like, why did that coach do that thing in the third quarter, right? Because you are doubting that they knew what they were talking about and you knew better than them. But sometimes there's just mass, just this misuse of leadership. Where people, there are tyrants out there who literally kill people because they don't uh, commit their ways to them. There are authoritarians that try to suppress everyone around them. There's wackos who seem brilliant on the, on, the, on the front side of things but end up being crazy enough to ruin everybody's lives. So leadership, especially the abuse of leadership, it's easy to back away and say, ah, I think I know best. And yet here we have a scripture from God himself, the very word of God saying that leadership is important. In fact, leadership is from him, from God himself. And so if we are quickly to dismiss leadership, we are challenged with a passage like this, especially challenged that Peter would end uh, or he's coming to an end of a passage like this. But don't forget, there are shepherds among you. There are elders among you. And those, these people, these men have a job to do. So let's not dismiss all examples of all leadership because there are those out there that are trying to be faithful to, to pastor local congregations. The church has a leadership structure. Do you believe that? In God's providence and his wisdom, he's given a, a leadership structure for us. We've often said at Redstone Church, kind of, you know, just off the cuff, but who's the lead pastor of our church? It's not me. It's not even in our elders. It's King Jesus himself. He is the lead pastor. And he has given us as under shepherds for sure. But King Jesus himself is the king. And he is the Lord over all things. And then he bequeaths 
responsibilities to men who are called elders. And so just because there's some corruption in the church and leadership should be questioned every now and then, there really are faithful men who try to shepherd the flock well. So throughout this week, I've been looking at chapter four and chapter five, and it seems like there's a little bit of just, I don't know, there's just an edge to it. It seemed like the end of chapter four was a natural ending to the book. This is where you see Jesus to the right hand of the Father. This is where you see Jesus having all dominion over all things, and there's an amen at the end. I mean, it's, just, it's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, Peter goes, so I want you to be able to understand this idea of of, of leadership. So why in the world would Peter do that? You would think that chapter four would be a natural way, a natural crescendo, crescendo just to stop, to end with Jesus, to just say, he has full dominion over all things forever and say amen and walk away. But there's one more tagline. There's one more footnote. There's one more thing that the pastor Peter wants to say to all of these churches around modern day Turkey. And the last thing he wants to say is there really is, there's these under shepherds that we want you to understand. And so we wonder why did he do it this way? Why did he not just end in chapter four? Why did he say so or therefore and just continuing on? It's because in chapter four, verse 17, he says this, that judgment actually begins with a household of God. Right? And so it really is a continuation of thought. So in verse 17, you see this idea that judgment begins with the household of God. And now we're talking about those elders or those shepherds who are in charge of the household of God. And then Peter says, where does this judgment actually fall on the household of God? It's whether we are following in the example of Jesus. I'm sure there will be lots of judgment over lots of things. But here in this context, the judgment that the household first Firstly, we'll be judged is, did we suffer for the name of Jesus? Did we suffer well? And so shepherds, those who are there to shepherd the flock, are you willing to follow in this example of Jesus, even in the example of suffering, the suffering servant? And so judgment does begin with the household of God preeminently it will start with elders who look at their vocation and say am I doing this you know out of obligation or am I doing this out of calling and if I'm doing this out of calling what am I aiming toward and Peter is always telling us to aim toward the example of Jesus and we know the example of Jesus is this dip or this fall down into humility this dip down into this crescent there of humility, even underneath the passion of Jesus himself. So Peter links himself as one of these elders. Look at this. It says, so I exhort the elders among you, as a f and then he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering. He just wants you to know that he is in the same boat as all of the other elders. He says, I just want you to know, I've looked to Jesus, I am a fellow elder, and now I'm talking to elders of the church. And I want you to know that suffering with Jesus, suffering with me, and now suffering within the leadership really is going to happen. Oftentimes we think that if suffering comes, that that really means that something is wrong. 
Peter is actually saying that when suffering comes, there's something right. There's actually something right happening because we're following in the example of Jesus. And so we are the church will be judged by a simple criteria of mirroring, mirroring the life of Jesus in his suffering. So under shepherds, what do they do? Shepherd's role is, you know, pretty simple. It's right, it's this idea of, of oversight. You see this idea. And the New Testament says much about this, this role of elder or this role of shepherd. Uh, if you just look at the, just do some research, you'll understand that the, the name for elder is the name for pastor, which is also the name for overseer. And all of these words are interchange, interchanging. But here we see this idea that there is a, an elder, right, who's called an under shepherd. And this is what he does. So what exactly does he do, right? You see here in verse 2, he provides oversight. He provides oversight, or they provide oversight for the church. It's interesting when you look at the qualifications of an elder in either 1 Timothy or Titus, and you look at the ones here in 1 Peter. It's not that they're, 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 they're contradictory, right? But they have a different emphasis. For Paul, in his understanding to both Timothy and Titus, he says, you need to make sure that this person, this man, this group of people are able to teach. Their conduct matters, but are they able to teach? Here, Peter doesn't say anything really about teaching. What he's really pressing in on this is this idea of oversight. Because what typically do sheep do? When left in and of themselves, what do they do? We scatter right? We wander off. And so what Peter is saying, underneath the pressure of suffering, your sheep will scatter. And in the same way that Jesus saw sheep scatter, in the way that Peter is seeing in Rome, this idea of a scattering, he's saying to the people in modern day Turkey, just know when the pressure comes, people will leak. And our job is to have some oversight when it comes to that. And so whether you are an elder in a city or in a desert, whether you are elders in a middle class or, or an educated uh, reality, whether your church is newly formed or it's 100 years old, you need to make sure that these leaders, they are able to have oversight over you. These, these shepherds have to provide oversight for us. Shepherds evoke rich imagery. In the Old Testament, right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We, we sang that wonderful old hymn this morning. You understand that both Moses was a shepherd and David was a shepherd, right? And you see that Jesus himself was the good shepherd. And so this idea of shepherding, this idea of being out in the fields without any shelter, the dew of the evening resting on your shoulders, you literally smelling like the sheep in which you live with. This idea that there's a rod and a staff and your job as a shepherd is to lead them to a grassy place or to water for you to be able to feed them appropriately, right? And whether you guide them this way or that, away from famine or toward the richness and whatever it is, you have an intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep. And he's using all of that Old Testament imagery and he's saying to the people, like, this imagery still matters. 
But I wonder if underneath all of this shepherding role is what we find in John chapter 21. Remember, after Peter the sheep scattered, after he denied Jesus, after understanding that Jesus himself was suffering and dying, Peter denied and, 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 and he was the sheep that scattered. We have here on the lake of Galilee, and you have Jesus coming back to Peter. And he says, Peter, and he asks him three times, do you love me? And in this exchange, there's this wonderful reality. He didn't just ask the question, do you love me? But he also gave him a firm command, actually three firm commands. And do you remember what those commands were? Feed my lambs, first and foremost. Tend my sheep, Jesus would say. And then lastly, feed my sheep. This imagery is rich. And Peter knows as a fellow elder, we are going to have to understand what shepherding is. And we need to understand the relationship between sheep and shepherds and how they're truly interchanging. And then above all, we feed and we tend. And this is what we do over and over because the physical world is brutal out there. And the thing that all of our sheep need is spiritual truths in a very physical world. Things that are intangible like love and beauty and forgiveness and grace. The things the world knows nothing about. This is what you are to feed your people with. So Peter sets himself as a prime example and a fellow elder. And he says, I am going to follow after Jesus. Persecution is coming to me first in Rome and it will trickle down to you but I follow the good shepherd. And he is, and he's already said this in 1 Peter 2.25, this is the shepherd and the overseer of your, what? Your souls. It's a great privilege to be an elder of Redstone Church. Me and Juan Carlos Avias and Daniel McIntosh, it is just a great, great thing. One of the most beautiful, you know, engagements of my life is to, to, to stand here and open the scriptures and to, to, to preach and to teach. But if we get the practical world and the spiritual world and somehow forget that what we do is we come and we want to feed your souls, we've been greatly mistaken. What your souls need, what your souls need to be nourished by is the word of God. The word of God is the true sustenance of all of our lives. So in the church, we must pray that the Lord raises up more leaders. We need to pray that this godly character, people who have this idea of oversight, these shepherds who are unafraid to visit the sick, unafraid to pray for those who are spiritually afraid, more men who shepherd the flock who stray and want to come and guide them and point them back to the person and work of Jesus so fellow men in here do you, do you desire to be a shepherd over this congregation to have oversight for a flock like this and what Peter says Nextly is interesting. 
he actually walks into three negatives, three warnings before he gets to a positive. He says three things. He says, I want you to, to have these shepherds who over, oversee, but they should not be under compulsion. They should not come for shameful gain and should not be domineering. And so it's strange to us that Peter is like, this is what you need, right? And then gives you three examples of people that you, we need to avoid. And the reason is interesting, right? So it's very, very practical. How we are able to feed your souls and remain pure is one is not to be under compulsion, but to do this thing willingly. Look at the, just the passion behind those words, not under compulsion, but willingly. So what does this mean? It simply means that the elders are not governed by duty, but instead by calling. I'll say that again. Your elders are here not because we're supposed to, but we got to. Right? King Jesus himself pointed to us and said, you, can do, you have to do this. And so we're not governed by duty. It's more of a calling. And sure, we do things when we don't feel like it, those kinds of things, but that's not compulsion. Compulsion is this idea that, uh, that when you are not motivated by love or not doing this because we are called to serve God. We should never have to beg someone to be a pastor. We should never tell someone or begrudgingly should, to adopt this idea of eldership. It has to come willingly. Interesting here, this word for willingly is the same thing that Peter, or Paul will tell us on how we should be givers. We should be cheerful givers. And so in the same way, we should be cheerfully eldering. Then he goes on to the second not. Like we should, it, should not be, um, it's, it should not be for shameful gain. This is interesting. So why would he include money, right? Because there has to be a motivation for that. Most business people wake up in the morning like, hey, how can I make a killing today? And that's okay. We want you to make a killing. That's no problem at all. But when the motivation of an elder, when they wake up, right, it's not of, of shameful gain. Can they make a paycheck? Sure, right? But th there's this idea that this, this gain has to be pure and undefiled and a different motivation entirely, a different economy, some would even say. And so what our economy is, is not for shameful gain, but this idea of there's, there's this eagerness to it. There's a joy that's in, in engaging. There's an engaging and a supernatural idea. This is the motivation of elders, but not for shameful gain, right? Not under compulsion, not under shameful gain, and not domineering. Not with a heavy thumb, right? Not barking commands, right? We are not cattle drivers, Instead, we lead the way. You see the difference? We're not, you know, army people who are shouting things. It's not a domineering, but this idea of coming underneath Jesus himself in full humility. It's good for me and Daniel and Wonka to read books on CEOs and coaches and politicians and those types of things. However, we must read the Gospels to hear of our pastor shepherd, Jesus himself, because he was not domineering in any way, but truly humbled himself. And then he says, is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And goes on to say that if you are an elder of a church and you're able to do these three things well, then you will be able to get a reward. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. It will all be worth it.
Peter is always pointing to both congregation and to elders to look at the future reality in order to dictate your, your present reality. And here he's saying there's going to be a crown and it's going to be unfading. It'll be totally worth it because it's not just the crown that you will receive, but when the chief shepherd appears, you will be reunited. You under shepherds will be reunited with the chief shepherd fully and completely. And that's what the Christian faith is all about. It's not about duty. It's more about a relationship. And the reason we do the things we do is because we want King Jesus to be honored with our lives and we want to fall in step with him. And we give you permission. If you see us falling out of step, it is okay. Come and tell us. Rebuke us as brothers in Christ Jesus because this is what we want to do. And then he quickly shifts to the flock He talks about the young, I should have not shaved this morning. I had a big old gray beard earlier this morning because he shifts to the congregation, all of of you young whippersnappers out there. Um, But he's talking to likewise you who are younger, right? Likewise you congregants, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with the same humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Tony Marita in his book, Love Your Church, he's given us as a congregation just a really easy way to understand this. He does it in five ways. He says, how can the flock be the flock? How can we humble ourselves? How can we come and clothe ourselves with this? How can we be subject and how we be underneath the elders? And he simply says, respect faithful elders, right? And so there's this, this level of respect them and love them well. Uh, that's number two. Sorry, don't get ahead of myself. Respect faithful elders. Um, ditch the false teachers, right? You know, kick them out. But if you're a faithful elder, respect them. Number two, now love your elders with high esteem. This is how we can love our church is to do that. To follow the examples of elders. To look at the positioning and the way of their life and follow their examples. To be a joy to your elders, right? To be a joy to them. And lastly, to pray for your elders. And so I know that if you're like my wife, like, yeah, that's, that's great, but tell me how to do those things. So really easily, how do you respect your elders? Do you respect them? Uh, this is very practical. This is all Tony Marita. Um, by being attentive to their teachings, um, refusing to participate in rumors, right? That's a way of respecting and being faithful to them is being attentive and, and, and not participating in things. Um, how do you love your elders? Some practical ways of doing that is just doing kind things for them. We have some of the most generous and kind congregants and you guys are always being very kind to us and you guys do a great job. This idea of follow the examples of, or sorry, sorry, under two as well, is how to express your thankfulness to your pastors by just simply offering encouragement, right? Just offering encouragement, little notes of encouragement. Just this week, we had a congregants drop off two meals at uh, our house this week. Um, It's just, it's been a wonderful, just this idea of thankfulness and kindness and being attentive, Number four, uh, how do you be a joy to your elders, right? How do you be a, be a joy to your pastor? By just doing the little things well. Tony Marita says the little things include like just being prayed up on Saturday night, showing up early on Sunday, 
right? That's simple, right? But those are things of just being a joy, being a part of the body. And then do you pray for your elders? Do you pray for us by name? Do you pray for our families? Do you pray for our children? Those are simple ways to do that. So why is Peter offering this piece of advice at the end of his book? We're about 50 or 60 years into this new experiment in the first century of what the local church has been. And we know that it's at least moved out to Asia Minor. We know that whatever it is, it's growing and it's expanding and those types of things. But Peter tells us here and just, just, just right here, by, by not saying it, he's saying it, is that my tenure is coming to a close. And right now, today, I'm your fellow elder with you. And he's looking at all of the elders of Asia Minor. He says, today I'm with you, but soon I'm going to die. And it's going to be on you. And it's going to be on your leadership. Just give it a few more years and Peter himself will be crucified upside down for believing in Jesus. And he will no longer be the example to follow. It will be local pastors and local Um, elders who will take up that mantle. So one reason we do next-gen development here is because we know that one day we will die. We will phase out. We will become irrelevant, and we're going to have to pass the baton to other pastors, to other elders, to other under-shepherds, and we should be doing that and doing that well. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is just a great context of why you and I, we all need to be about next-gen development because I won't be here forever, right? We need to make sure these other men, these other elders in process are coming. So practically at Redstone Church, we need more elders. We need more men who are willing to follow the example of Jesus with their life in order to be and step up for our church. And number two, at Redstone Church, we need a congregation who's willing to do these things well to be a great flock, to be an amazing flock who just exudes joy and kindness and gentleness. I didn't quite get it done in 15 minutes, but that's a whirlwind trip through 1 Peter 1 through 5. Let's pray. So King Jesus, we offer you full praise for what you have done among us. You are the chief shepherd You are the overseer of our souls and we love you dearly. Thank you for the book of 1 Peter. Thank you for the example that Peter has given to us in order how to suffer well. I pray for future elders of our church that even now there will be boldness and courage that will be built up into these men's heart to say, I, I desire I aspire to this office and also to the flock among us that we would, be, we, would, we, would, we would love the idea of being respectful and kind and generous to the people that God has set apart to watch over us, to lead, to guide and protect. Lord Jesus, we pray that we fall underneath your structure, that we never get out of your structure, that you would find us if you return to be a church underneath your true shepherding. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen.